Good evening. Thank you for coming back tonight, and uh, good to see you all. Appreciate your being here on this holiday weekend. All right, I think the uh, handouts have been uh, fully distributed. Uh, I begin tonight with a lengthy quotation uh, taken from the Holman New Testament commentary on the book of Revelation, and it reads as follows, and I quote, The two monsters of chapter 13 offered a vicious and bleak picture to John's first readers. Satan had the upper hand. His two greatest triumphs, Antichrist and false prophet, have enlisted the worship of the whole world. Many believers have entered the list of martyrs. The only advice the chapter offered to Christian was, be patient. When will God and his forces ever prevail? The first scene of chapter 14 answers the question by pulling back the curtain again. John beholds the full contingent of God's people in heaven in a fully glorified state. The last time that John had seen the Lamb was in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, sitting on heaven's throne. Worshipped by a great multitude who have, <coughs> <excuse me. coughs> who have come out of the great tribulation. That preview had been part of the interlude between the breaking of the sixth and seventh seals. It balanced the scene in which the 144,000 were sealed. Now he sees the Lamb again. The Lamb is in the same place, heaven, but for the only time in Revelation designated Mount Zion. John referred to the Lamb on the immovable mountain in a deliberate contrast to the dragon last seen standing on shifting sand. Chapter 13, verse 1, where shore of the sea is literally sand of the sea. Mount Zion, however, was a standard first century Christian name for heaven. Hebrews 12, 22 expresses the same language. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So as we look at Revelation chapter 14, we note that it is divided into three sections. The first section deals with 144,000 and the Lamb. The second section deals with the messages of the three angels. And then the third section deals with the harvesting of the earth. So first, the first section deals with 144,000 and the Lamb. The 144,000 are triumphant. The 144,000 are with the Lord. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000. So they are in the presence of the Lamb. They are triumphant 
because they had been sealed by God. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, behold the Lamb, with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Their triumph is declared in song, starting with verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Revelation in chapter 15, we have here where it says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O kings of the nation. So this uh, song is, in fact, uh, a tribute of the great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, we have this song of Moses uh, first given to us. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. And then chapter 32 of uh, Deuteronomy are the lyrics to this song. Now, I didn't print that out. That's a very long chapter. But it is a recounting of the exploits of God. It speaks of God's deliverance for the children of Israel and their triumph over their enemies. So this song is like the Song of Moses in that it is a song of triumph over uh, the enemies of God. Oftentimes, there are songs that uh, are sung uh, in battle or in victory uh, to encourage and uh, to speak of triumph and uh, to victory. You know, we uh, had uh, played this morning in the uh, prelude, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And that was written during the Civil War to be an encouragement to the troops and how God was going to uh, be uh, aiding them and helping them. Well, this is a song of, of triumph. Number four, they have a great spiritual insight. For it says, no one could learn that song except the 144,000. Meaning that it was a part of their experience. And again, the 144,000 is not limited to a literal 144,000, but it's speaking of the people of God as a whole. Uh, review the materials from chapter 7. Fifthly, the triumph is due to their being redeemed. For it says that no one could have learned that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And that is the cause of their triumph. That is the nature of their triumph. Uh, the redemption that was accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. So next, the nature of the triumph of the 144,000 described. They have remained faithful to Jesus Christ. Verse 4, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. A, it appears that their being virgins should be taken metaphorically, 
Their virginity is seen in their faithfulness to Christ and not committing adultery with Babylon. So when we're talking about these 144,000, they're not just all male. And the virginity, as I say, is metaphorical. It's talking about their faithfulness uh, in terms of their worship of Christ. Notice the text. In the context, there are those who have committed fornication with Babylon. Revelation 14, 8. Another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So here's this key to the aspect of knowing that this is talking not about literal uh, virginity, but faithfulness. For there are those who have been unfaithful uh, by uh, following uh, Babylon and in so doing, they have partaken of her sexual immorality. Uh, again, uh, in the Old Testament, many, many times, uh, idolatry is referred to as um, adultery against God. Two, Babylon is personified as a woman. Another angel, a second filed saying, Babylon is fallen the great and then notice the word, she who made all nations drink of the wine, the passion of her sexual morality. So again, this metaphor, now Babylon is pictured as a woman. Babylon is personified as the great prostitute. Chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, and again, that's a reference to Babylon. Four, to engage in the corrupted worship of the city is seen to be fornication, chapter 17, verses two and following. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon of the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So these 144,000 have not engaged in this false worship that is pictured under the uh, headship of Babylon. Number two, they have been forgiven their sins. So they're not sinless by any means. For it says, it is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind. So these are, are people who have been born again uh, through the blood of Christ. And they have been faithful to God's word. In their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Number two, the second section deals with the messages of the three angels. The first angel, the first angel proclaims the gospel. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. 
Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. So now we find out that the gospel is going to go forth at this time in a very demonstrable way. In fact, the gospel is to be proclaimed to all people. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. And then notice this next statement, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Uh, that could be understood in two ways. It could be that the gospel is intended for every tongue, tribe, and people and nation. We know that certainly is true. Or it could mean, and I think it's this, that not only is it intended for every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, but actually every tongue, tribe, and uh, people, and nation here. That that gospel is going to actually permeate uh, the earth. We do find out in the New Testament that uh, the Lord comes after everyone has heard uh, the truth. So the angel is going to uh, fulfill uh, what is ultimately lacking by us in the Great Commission, and that is taking the gospel to every single uh, nation, tribe, people. <clears throat> Number third, the gospel is a call to flee judgment. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. So here's the last opportunity to hear and to repent for the time of judgment has finally, finally come. Number four, the gospel is a call to worship the true God. And the angel said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory because the hour of judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So the first angel pronounces the gospel. The second angel pronounces judgment on the city of Babylon. Another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fall, fallen is Babylon the great. She made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So this false worship is condemned and is going to come to an end. The third angel puts forth a warning. The judgment will come to those who receive the mark of the beast. We saw the mark of the beast in chapter 13. Now this warning. Another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, the judgment will be in experiencing God's wrath. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So whoever uh, receives this mark, we talked about this a little bit last week, that mark, we are, don't know exactly what that is now, but at the time, it certainly will be extremely apparent. And... Uh, the warning is uh, not to receive that mark. I said in Sunday school this morning, it appears there's going to be a tremendous amount of grace given that uh, none of the people of God will uh, receive that mark because they are sealed. Number two, the continuing judgment will be under the oversight of God and his creatures. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength in the cup of his anger, and will be tormented 
with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. I have here note that uh, hell is under God's dominion. Uh, for hell is uh, going to be a place of torment with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Um, Many depictions of hell are, you know, you see it in the materials and uh, hell's this flaming place and in the center of it is the Satan with his red suit and his horns and his long tail and a big cauldron and he's stirring the pot and the uh, picture is that Satan is in charge of hell and reigning over hell and gleefully uh, excited about all the sinners in hell that he is tormenting. It's the wrong picture. Satan does not rule over hell. God rules over hell. And Satan is not gleefully uh, delighting in the uh, torture of uh, the sinner, but he himself is also experiencing torment. Uh, he himself is also suffering. We'll see that as we move on through the book of Revelation. But I just want you to see here that it's God, okay? And um, another uh, misnomer, if you will, is that God is not present when it comes to hell. Um, when the scripture speaks of, of uh, the absence of God, it's not an absence in the fullest sense of that word, but rather it is an absence of his love, it's an absence of his mercy, it's an absence of his pity, and it's the full presence of his wrath. Um, God will be known, but only in his wrath, only in his uh, anger, uh, his mercy and Pity will not be, be manifest. Number three. The torment for the lost is never ending and never ceasing. First, it is never ending. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Uh, there is no end to hell. It is an eternal punishment. That is unique to the Christian religion and there are many sects, S-E-C-T-S, of uh, Christianity. Uh, a lot of people deny the existence of hell. Um, some uh, teach total annihilation, that non-believers just pass out of existence. Some see uh, temporary torment, uh, but hell is forever. Hell is forever. B, the torment is never ceasing. There is no respite from the torment. There are not good days and bad days. There are only bad days. Revelation 14, 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Uh, this is the most dreadful thought that uh, one can have. Uh, so the non-believer, you know, talks like hell's going to be a party and, and you know, we're going to sit around and drink beer and 
you know, that's fine, you know, go to hell, but it's going to be the most hideous situation. Uh, we need to understand, and uh, now I'm just kind of going off the cuff here, but we, we need to understand that all people are resurrected. Some are resurrected unto eternal life, some are resurrected unto eternal damnation. But in that resurrection, everyone receives an incorruptible body, which means that body will never pass away. That body will never decay. That body will never be destroyed. We will have an incorruptible body in heaven where we're experiencing joy and peace and blessing. They have an incorruptible body that is in hell, never to be destroyed, and is experiencing misery and heartache and anguish. Um, so, a word to the wise. See, the lost are those who worship the beast and the idol of it. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of the name. And, of course, it's not just limited to those. It's the lost of all ages. D, there is a blessing to have not worshipped the beast. There is a blessedness to enduring persecution. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Two, though they have died for their faith, they have not died in vain. Heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed. Unlike the lost who have no rest, the people of God have a rest. Revelation 14, 13. Heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors. All their hardships, all their difficulties, all their trials, all their miseries are over. They have rest. Remember that it said of the ones in hell, they have no rest day or night. And their faithful acts will be remembered. It says, for their deeds follow them. Um, reward. Um, praise. Crowns. The blessing of God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. All of that continues on in the presence of God. Um, you may have heard it said, you can't take it with you. Uh, that is true when it comes to uh, material possessions. You can't take them with you. Uh, in terms of any aspect of prosperity, gold, you know, you've heard the old, uh, you don't see any uh, uh, U-Haul trucks at the end of uh, uh, funeral possession, uh, processions, etc. Uh, but one thing you can take with you is your life lived for the glory of God. Um, that has significance. This life has incredible significance for the life to come. This is preparatory. And we should live these days realizing that the benefits of my Christian faith, the benefits of my serving, serving the Lord may not be fully experienced in this life. 
Nobody may be patting me on the back. Nobody is acknowledging uh, the things that we are doing. Many times people don't even know, but they follow us. Uh, they are rewarded. They are remembered. They are brought to light to the glory of God. The third section deals with the harvesting of the earth. That harvesting is uh, the taking of the wicked uh, from the face of the earth and they are going to be uh, judged and uh, banished. The harvesting will be performed at the oversight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. This reaping is in accordance with the will of God the Father. Another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice of him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe, meaning that the time has fully come. The reaping is a gathering of the lost from the earth. So he who sat on the crowd swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. The reaping comes at the appointed time. Verse 15, and uh, had another angel come out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. Revelation 14, 50, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Revelation chapter 14, 17 and 18. At the end of verse 18, for its grapes are ripe. Uh, the right moment has come. The fullness of God's patience has uh, been expounded. And now is the time of judgment. Uh, there is an appointed day for judgment. The clock is ticking down. There is a moment when everything will have been fulfilled and judgment is coming. And the lost will be great in number. Revelation 14, 9 and 20. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Uh, this is a great, great flow of blood, uh, talking about the vastness of those that are going to experience uh, the wrath of God, the, the tremendous number. Um, the scriptures continually, continuously speak of the remnant. If you know, uh, of course, a remnant is the small part of the bolt it is that uh, leftover part of uh, the bolt of cloth. Uh, many are called, few are chosen. There are going to be many, many lost. So the exhortation to us tonight would be to realize that uh, judgment is real. Judgment is coming. And we are not only encouraged but commanded to take the gospel to all the peoples of the earth. And we need to be warning people of the reality of judgment, that um, without faith in Jesus Christ, there will be people who will be lost. Uh, one of the, I think, most horrendous 
aspects of today's Christianity where we are far, far, far removed from what the scriptures uh, teach. And uh, you've heard me say it often, but even in the evangelical church, less than 50% of the people believe in hell. The Bible's clear. There is a hell. And it will be occupied. And we're to go and tell the people of the reality of a judgment. And the only way to escape that judgment is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's our role, that's our responsibility, that's our duty tonight in light of this coming judgment. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to be mindful of the people that are round about us. Uh, Lord, help us to be faithful in taking the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice, O oh God, in the forgiveness of sins and being at peace with God. We are thankful for those that have brought the gospel to us. And we know that you have ordained the ends, but you've also ordained the means. Lord, as we saw two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, uh, those who you have predetermined, uh, you call, you justify, you glorify. Lord, you call through the gospel. So help us to take the gospel that people would hear, respond, be saved. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.